Next Chapter Podcast. And you're Wang Zuki, and you know you're true. Oh my goodness gracious me. You know what I love about doing this podcast is sometimes you look at a record that's on the list and you don't think you're going to feel it, and then you feel every piece of it. That song, Wang Zuki'd me. It's called He's Got the Power slash Tell Him by the Exciters. Off the 1990 album, The Best of the Girl Groups, Volume 1 and 2. It's also number 421 out of 500 on the Spotify Ridge, The 500, with Josh Adam Myers. What's up, everybody? How you doing, Fleece Army? What's up, you little cadoogles? Hope you guys are having a good week. Hope everybody's safe. Hope everybody's quarantining. Hope everybody's not sick. And if you are, stay home. Just stay home. And listen to the only podcast that's going through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. And I am the King Kadoogle. So this is it, guys. Three straight weeks of the girl groups of the 60s. First, we started with the Supremes. Then we had the Ronettes. And now we have all of the rest. Do you guys understand that... The last three weeks have been a intense course on all of the girl groups. You are going to be able to speak knowledgeable to anybody about the song Chapel of Love. And if you guys are at all in a sour mood, hopefully these last three albums have just put you feeling fine like wine. Because I am. I'm not going to lie to you guys. This was a really positive experience for me digging into all three of these records actually four if you think about this one's got two of them and i think that's the purpose of doing this podcast man you know you music gets into your soul and if you feel it it just makes everything burn a little bit brighter i mean i have only been listening to the girl groups it's not entirely true I did take a break to listen to some Erica Badu and some Jill Scott because if you watched, if you watched that versus, I don't think I've ever wanted to be a black woman more in my life than after watching Erica Badu and Jill Scott go back to back. I was like, God, I just wish I really understood this. Big ups to all you guys. Big ups to the Fleece Army. Big ups to the Kadoogly Spooglies. I love each and every one of you guys. Since this is the last of our three-week excursion into the girl groups, I picked one of my favorite girls, the one and only Stephanie Simbari. Stephanie is one of my oldest friends in stand-up comedy. We used to date. We talk about all of this. And honestly, it couldn't have been more of a joyful experience recording this episode because you don't see each other as often as, as you get busy. You know, she's she's gotten extremely busy with her podcast, That's So Retrograde, which is so great, where her and Elizabeth Cott just discuss wellness and pop culture and self-help. And she's just one of those people that is so fun that it really, really made this episode just fly by. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. 
Follow our Facebook group, The 500 Podcast with Jam, and The 500 Podcast fan page. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, y'all, nothing left to say, but here we go with number 420. One of the best of the girl groups. Volume 1 and 2Z. Oh, the episode is a doozy. All right, enjoy. You said things that weren't very nice. She's eating kale chips and her name is Stephanie Simbari. Simbari, Stephanie Simbari. She lives at Era One and she's astrophysical. We finally got this figured out. Oh my God. Wow, Josh. Thank you so much. That was a beautiful rendition of the song in my soul. Little does everybody know that it took, we, we've actually been on Zoom for about an hour or 20 trying to figure out how to get all this working. And then right when we sat down to do it, Stephanie just picked up a huge box of Ashwaga kale. <laughs> fucking, fucking. They're some, just some, crackers, you psycho. Some form of, some form of like reishi mushroom that she's ground down and put on top of a pizza. I'm an innovator in the space. What can I say? Uh, thank you for, for, for doing this because I've been wanting to sit down and talk to you. I feel like it's been it's been a minute since you and I have actually... Well, no, we talked not too long ago. We talked when I offered you this a few months ago. That's how well I yeah. know you, Stephanie. Knowing that this record is like 38 songs on a double record, I gave you three months to fucking absorb this. I was like, she's Meanwhile, I just started listening to it like two weeks ago. <laughs> which is fine. Which is fine because everybody else had a week as well. You know what I mean? Okay. So, so that's great. So, so all right. So what kind of, of relationship did you have with this music prior to me asking you to do it? Is that a weird way to say, do you ever listen to this shit? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I feel like it's kind of the same type of relationship that anyone of our age group would have with this kind of music. It's like the shit that reminds me of what would be playing like in my grandparents' house on a record player, like on a, you know, summer afternoon in like the 90s when they still listen to records. Like it's not something that I really dabbled in yeah it's neither same i'm in the same boat it's the same experience that you're having that i'm having i but i and i probably think you can agree with this it's like the second that you listen to this music especially in the social situation we're dealing with with the pandemic Mm -hmm. it's like it doesn't match the vibe and maybe that's good oh my god no i'm like so happy to be filled with like hope and whimsy yeah it's like this is, this is, but but uh, as soon as I this record came up, I had all these people telling me they were like, "Makes sense that it's happening during a pandemic because this is the soundtrack they use for the game Fallout." And I was like, "Oh, isn't that like a Mad Max post-apocalyptic thing?" And they're like, "Yeah, that's what it reminds me of." For me, it's just this like, like my dad never listened to this music, my mom never listened to this. I don't think my grandma listened to this, but it was just there. It's just music that's been there since I've been alive. You know what it reminds me of, I'm just realizing, is the movie Girl Interrupted. Of course that's the movie that you would... But that's you, what that's what Brittany Murphy hangs herself to, like, definitely one of these songs in that movie. Are you movie. serious? Yeah. The only time I've seen that movie is when I was... When me and my ex-girlfriend were dating, and, and she cooked me dinner. We had this great night, and I had almost 
I'd almost cheated on her, but I didn't. But I kept a picture of the girl I almost cheated on her with in my phone. And we, <laughs> and we fell asleep watching Girl Interrupted. And when I woke up maybe 20, 30 minutes later uh, on the couch, she was holding the picture and screaming at me. And she's just like, I can't believe you fucking cheated on me. And then all I can see is just like Winona Ryder on the screen, <laughs> like having a breakdown. And I'm just like, is this a joke? <laughs> no, you're right. I, and, I, and I agree because I think for people in our age group, in their, in their 30s, and, and I mean, even kids like younger, I mean, this is the music that you hear like in Scorsese movies. This is like music that has just, be, it's just there. It's this American uh, art form, if we're going to call it like like jazz or anything else, that is kind of based in this short window between like 1960 to like 1968 because I feel like by then it started changing well it's definitely like pre like women's liberation music yes. like that was the most wonderful and also kind of darker thing that I was thinking about it where I was just like wow like every single song is how she like worships him and like he makes me do things I don't want to do and like all these things and I'm just like damn women really had like no power <laughs> but it was still whimsical in a weird uplifting way now I listen I, I'm this is our third straight week of doing like girl groups like this like we started with the Supremes we just did the Ronettes and now we're doing like this is all of them you know and yeah. so it's it for me it's just been this like crash course in everything important about the girl groups. So it sounds like you don't know a lot about these these bands. So here let's let's dive in and find out a little bit about the history of them, okay? So this record was released by Rhino Records and produced by Bill Inglot in 1990. Uh this is also a very comprehensive two-volume compilation of all the epic hits of the greatest female-fronted groups of the 60s. There had been several huge female acts in the 40s and the early 50s, like the Andrew Sisters, the Bobettes, and the Chantels. Do you know Ooh, any of them? No. Oh, Andrew Sisters. No. I feel like my mom liked them. But by the mid-50s, rock and roll was as much a youth movement as a music genre, and it caught on with the kids like wildfire. Within a couple years of its introduction, everyone wanted to be part of it, but not everyone had the money or discipline to go by and learn to play a guitar. Interesting. Um, but you could sing doo-wop with your friends at school or on the corner or walking around the neighborhood, which is funny because I've never seen that anymore. That might be the most, like, 1950s shit in the world, just walking down the street and, like, five guys are just hanging out singing. Yeah. Like, I don't think I've ever fucking... Like, I might have seen that in, like, West Hollywood, but it's just, like, a bunch of gay guys out front, like, Show me love! Show me love! One guy singing and four dancing. Yeah. But by the late 50s, doo-wop had become one of the most popular genres of rock and roll, but with minor exception, it was still a male-dominated genre. Mm. But all that changed in the early 60s when girl groups exploded out of nowhere. The girls, who weren't necessarily encouraged to learn instruments and join bands, found out they could still participate. Many of them grew up out of family acts or school friends singing covers. Some were put together by crafty producers and songwriters to cash in on and catch the trending wave. Some were the writers and arrangers of their own material. Wow. Uh, I didn't realize that girl groups were the were like feminist warriors for music dude they're like girl groups are like the instagram butt models of today <laughs> come on 
Yeah, they, I will they, say they, I just googled the Andrew sisters and they don't even list their last names. <laughs> so, really? Yeah, they gave them they gave them fame but not notoriety. Well, their last name was Andrews. Oh, that's right. Okay. Keep that in the podcast, Peter. Don't cut. I that take mistake. that back. <laughs> well, I thought the sisters was like a, a like a fake thing, but I guess they're real sisters. Okay. Probably. Yeah, no, you're right. Okay. Laverne, Sophia. And as, okay, sorry. No, all good. And as most of the time, girls were easier to mold and present. They could be scouted, given in-house songs to record with staff producers, dressed in approved outfits, choreographed. Wait, girls were easier to, to mold and present because they had no idea that they had any freedom? Is that why? <laughs> you're figuring in the 1960s? I yeah. mean, there were, weren't, there, weren't there places like debutante schools back then? Yeah, I guess. You're right. So they was, were like training was, themselves mean, to be ladies. I think, well, I mean, you know, some of these, listen, I'm not saying that they weren't ladies, but I'm I'm saying like you're taking, this is a time when everything that was put on camera or on screen had to be perfect. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially if you want to talk about, you know, so like this is during a time of segregation. So you're taking like, like black people, especially black women, and then putting them out in front of the camera. So basically all they're trying to do is just whiten them up yeah. in a sense. So white people will buy it. Right. All right. They're tight harmonies and clever hooks, female centric lyrics, often about innocent romance, lush and innovative musical arrangements, detailed choreography and unique fashion and style. They became a sixties American phenomenon and a musical industry onto themselves. And most of the significant details is that many were women of color, like we said, for the first time they appealed to and were accepted by mainstream pop music listeners. Although the girl group's period really only lasted about five or six years, the ripple effect on everyone, and especially the female vocalists and musicians that followed them, was immeasurable. And you can hear the roots of these pioneers through the decades with artists like the Pointer Sisters, the Emotion, Sister Sledge, the Go-Go's, Your Shit, TLC, yes. and Vogue, Vanity, Spice Girls. The movie Dream yeah, Girls. <laughs> well, no, I mean, well, the Dream Girls is made about the Supremes. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, this is this is something that, the, not saying they never had female singers, they had female singers before, but now you're putting it like a group together. This is something new for the time, and it just blew the fuck up. This is like mumble rap of today. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just fucking everywhere. And to be honest with you, after listening to this record, like I, I can see why, because it is honest to God, perfect song after perfect song after perfect song. And most of them, as you listen to them, I think you probably felt the same way. You were probably like, oh shit, I know this one. Yeah. And and then other ones were like, I don't know this one, but this one. Fucking slaps, baby. <laughs> All right, let's, let's dive into the record, okay? okay? Let's get into some of these songs. All right, so the record opens with Leader of the Pack by the Shang. We all know this one. Laws. Everybody knows it, but we're going to play it just for anybody, regardless that might not. Peter, play a little bit. I met him at the candy store. Turned around and smiled at me. You get the picture? Yes, we see. That's when I fell for leader of the pack. Alpha males never go out of style. <laughs> well, this is, you know what's funny? It's that I didn't fucking realize what this shit was about until I read the lyrics. Like a fucking, it's like an idiot. I was just like, yeah, he was the leader. He was like a good guy. Everybody liked him. You know what I mean? Did well on his SATs and his standardized testing. <laughs> standardized testing. 
Crush the ACTs. <laughs> Crush the ACTs. Dude, he's a camp counselor at Seneca Creek Camp. <laughs> Plays shortstop for Quince Orchard. All right, never mind. All right, two names we're going to hear throughout this whole thing. Mm-hmm are Ellie Greenwich and Jeff Berry because they wrote or co-wrote a bunch of songs on this compilation as well as for many other artists that didn't make it. So they wrote this, was a number one melodramatic teenage death record about falling in love with the Doom Motorcycle Rebel with producer Shadow Morton who filled it with lush orchestration and chilling Wait, sound Wait, that's what this is about? So, yeah, dude, this is this is about... A girl falling in love with the bad guy. Wait, my mind is being fucking blown right now. And if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Everybody's telling her not to date him because he's like a wild bunch motorcycle dude. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So hot. Uh, I'm so into it. Sign me up. Probably. Probably. Yeah. I do this. <laughs> song is all you, you have dated so many leaders of the past. First time. First Fuck. time I have ever met you. You remember we remember the greasy guy that dropped you off in the Jeep outside of Pig <laughs> yeah, and Whistle? You love to bring that guy up. That was the greasiest dude. I had <laughs> like literally you slipped out of his car. There was so much grease. You were like, you were like, yoop. <laughs> like, and then you like slid all the way to the open mic sign up like Fuck you're like, you, hey, Josh. you guys. You're like, hey, you guys. Oh, that dude, Squiggly Dan. Yeah, Squiggly Dan. He's uh, he's like a he's like a poor man's Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> he was. You remember that? Yeah. He was so bad. He was bad, but he was like actor silly bad. Like he wasn't like yeah, bad. Dude. Like my boyfriend in high school was bad. No, but but th- this is the thing. I mean, about that kind of guy it's like and i think it's the same thing about the leader of the pack it's just like he's like that bad boy you know what i mean that guy pulled up and he might have been greasy but he was in the jeep looked dirty looked cool yeah he looked cool you know then i saw him do stand-up comedy and i was like this guy's garbage (laughs) we were all like oh that's not attractive Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. So, all right. So, before I ask you the question, the Shangri Las. This is something I think also might blow your mind. The Shangri Las were Mary and Betty Weiss and identical twin sisters Marge and Mary Ann Ganser, two sets of Jewish teenage sisters from the mean streets of Queen, New York. I would have never. Guest Jewish. Me either. Ever. Whoa, are they like my aunts? (laughs) (laughs) They're they're at the Passover Seder. Just fucking with the big hair and shit. But you know what? Just like you, Jewish girls like to date bad boys because, you know, we Jewish parents can be very strict. They ask you the question, is the guy Jewish? And then they say, you know, well, what does he do? See, I think I like bad boys because my dad's half 
uh, not Jewish, and so I'm half white trash. You're half? No, you're not half white. Yeah, trash. I'm half Italian from upstate New York. I mean, that's fully white trash. Italian people can't be white trash. You know what I mean. But but I want to ask you because we're talking about bad boys. This is a great song. This is a classic. But down to bad boys. My question to you is, how many white guys with dreadlocks have you kushpluki? <laughs> Fuck you, first of all. <laughs> and zero. Dreadlocks are gross. Okay, well, how many How many bad boys? Who's the baddest of the boys that you dated? Oh, man, I really loved a bad boy. Fuck, that was my jam. I mean, was I a bad I feel boy? Like I was thinking that. I'm like, you're kind of a bad boy, but you're like a Jewish bad boy, so it's like different. <laughs> Like inside, you're just like a mama's boy who like has a gr- like a gruff voice and like like doing pills. <laughs> so like you were like oh yeah well, you were like a fake bad boy. <laughs> so for everybody, uh, Stephanie and I had a, a small romance in the I think it was like the summer of 2008 or 2009. 2009, yeah. 2009, because you had just we had just I think we had met a few months earlier and then we started hanging out and it was great. We were hanging out at the Unknown Theater. I was. I guess in a sense as a comic I was a bad boy. I'm 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 on pills. I'm doing the unknown theater. I'm jamming. But there's somebody dude, you've dated. You're wearing like dirty boots and you you're driving like a shitty Jeep and your jeans are down past your butt and you're like smoking cigarettes and like doing drugs and like you're all fucked up on stage. Like, yeah, you were playing the bad boy part in a real way. And yeah. I was like, I want to fix him. <laughs> <laughs> little, little did everybody know that I was this like sensitive little boy in my room crying, listening to Beck sea change. I know, but that's the truth. I think of many, many probably most bad boys is that there's just like an early childhood trauma or some sort of like lack of confidence or something that has made them put up that big, big, big wall and big, big front. So at this age, I definitely think that a bad boy is a red flag for someone who has unresolved issues. And I'm now in my (laughs) mid thirties, so I'm good on that. But I still like a guy with some tattoos or some edge, you know, it's transferred from bad to like edge. Yeah. And edge is great. Edge is successful. Like, dude, bad boys are for your late teens and twenties. I mean, my high school boyfriend was like smoking crack. Like, what are we doing here? Like, I like, come on. <laughs> Everybody's like, you shouldn't be with him, Steffi. And you're just like, he came from the wrong side of the, the tracks. Oh. <laughs> Good one. No, he was just so hot. You know, bad yeah. boys are hot. And so I, I like that. could be a hot crack smoker. You know, he was just swimming up, <laughs> swimming upstream. <laughs> Sometimes you got to swim upstream to yeah. get that rock. Yeah. Um, All right, the next song I want to talk about is Dream Baby by Cher. Uh, uh, So, Peter, play a little bit of Dream Baby for me. Give us a little hit. I'm going to pray for the, pray for the day he says, hey, pretty baby, I love you. This is what I'm talking about with something like this record is that one, I never heard this. Two, it immediately stopped me in my tracks. And three, I was like, this is Cher? Yeah, what? Like, yeah, the no Cher? Idea. Like, C-H-E-R Cher, the Queen Mama? <laughs> yeah, Queen Mother Cher? <laughs> Queen Mother Cher. Whoa, she's um, old. <laughs> I mean, you ain't lying, dude. Yeah. 16, so she was 16 years old. At that time, she was known as Sherilyn LaPierre. <gasps> she met... 
She met 27-year-old Salvatore Sonny Bono in Hollywood in 1962. Ew! She was 16? Oh, I didn't even read. I didn't even think And he was 27? That. that is not okay. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Come on. And then he went on to be a congressman? Jesus Christ. That makes perfect sense. Politicians love fucking kids. But they got married and like, I don't know if that's, I, I listen, it's, I'm not defending it. But it's not like it was some creepy thing, like, you know. No, it was guess, a creepy thing. It was just a different time where creepy things were okay. But also, we need to check the math to see if, if because, like, maybe the, the legal age might have been, that stuff got moved 12. up later in life. <laughs> no, well, you know what I mean. Like, maybe it was, like, I think it was probably in, like, the 70s, 80s, they moved shit to 18. You know what I mean? This is, like, the 60s. This, dude, J- Jerry Lee Lewis dated, like, his, like, 14-year-old cousin, which I'm not saying is right. But it's just that's that's the way. Listen, I'm not defending it, but that's the way shit went sounds down. a lot like you're defending it. Listen, I want you to meet my 11 year old girlfriend Patrice. She's like, hi, Stephanie. I'm like, baby girl, you're a prisoner. You're run, like, run, run. I end up adopting her. It's a whole thing. <laughs> and you'll probably treat her like you treated your dog Boop, and just go, just do whatever you want. Really, I'm gonna eat kale chips. And in that case, then that means I would send her to my dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So they met because he was a member of Phil Spector's recording team. And through her friendship with Sonny, she started singing backups on Spector sessions, which I saw because uh, she was singing a bunch of stuff uh, for the Ronettes. And I think not the Supremes, but I saw for the Ronettes by 64. There were a couple. Oh, see, here you go. So he waited two years. So she was 18 by the time they were a couple. Wow. We said Good all that job, shit. Good job, Sonny. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. They were a couple. And Phil Spector wrote and produced her first single, Ringo, I Love You, to cash in on the Beatles phenomenon, but credited it to Bonnie Jo Mason so she didn't appear too ethnic. Yeah, because okay. she's Armenian. Yeah. And that was like not white. Yeah. You know what's funny is this I would I never would have thought that she was anything but like you look at Sharon, I'd just be like, yo, she's white. But it makes sense. I know, sense. but think about but, like the the predominant cultural like look of that time. It was so yeah, it wasn't not that dark. That. Yeah, it definitely wasn't no. that dark. So that same year, Sonny wrote this second single for her that was released under the name Sherilyn. It was a regional hit in Los Angeles, and by the next year, everybody knew the names Sonny and Cher. One of wow. my favorite share stories was I once stole an I Love Jesus t-shirt from the Boardwalk t-shirt factory in Ocean City, right? And I got arrested. Okay. I got arrested. I went to jail for the night, and then I was released. And then three months later, I had to go to court <laughs> in Ocean City, right? And I hadn't gotten a lawyer until the day before, not realizing that my life could be ruined from that. And so me and my friend Greg drove from Germantown, Maryland to Ocean City the night before my court case, uh, which is like a three-hour drive. And we got there around three in the morning. This is like August. So so we get to Ocean City and we pull into a gas station around 3.30 in the morning. And there's this guy driving like a Toyota Celica with the windows rolled down. He's like 70 years old. And he's just blaring that Cher song. Do you believe in love? I'm love. Oh, yeah. Like loud. Because it's the hip song at the time. And I go to walk by the guy to walk to go buy like cigarettes or something from the cashier. And the guy looks at me and he's, he smiles. He goes, 
He's like, great song, huh? And I'm like, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. He goes, bet you wouldn't think a 70-year-old old guy would be blasting some cool rock and roll <laughs> shit like this. And I'm like, what the fuck is... What? Wrong with you. <laughs> what did you say? Were you like, no, man, it's cool. I sucked his dick. No. <laughs> You're very kind. You're like, bet you wouldn't think a cool 20-year-old be sucking your dick to that song. <laughs> I this 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 has led me this 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 is great that that Cher changed her name from Sherilyn to Cher. Yeah. Because it lets me ask you this is that when and how did you become Falcon? Ted Josh. Oh my God. Um well, you know, I uh, I dabble in some spiritual things. And um, for my birthday in 2017, I had a numerologist offer me like a birthday numerology reading. Um, and so I took it. And she told me that my name, Stephanie Joanna Sambari, my birth name, was in a numerical, like, clashing with my birth date number and I needed to change my middle name in order to have a more uh, harmonious relationship to love and career that if I kept using the middle initial J and using the name Joanna then I would keep having a hard time with money and relationships and I was like interesting because I was having a lot of financial problems at that time and I was very alone so I was like I'll literally do anything and she was like, you need to change your name to something that starts with an F, an O, or an X. I was like, okay, this is insane. So I started looking up. Yeah. Like, I was like, can it be Fox? Like, I don't know. <laughs> but no, it had, to, it had to make my name add up to a three. That, would, that was the thing. Okay. So I started looking up, like, all these different names of every variety. And then and nothing was really, I had a list of F names. I was like, F is good. But then nothing was really landing. And then I was, like, sitting at lunch one day with my brother. And I just was like, Falcon. And he was like, what? I'm like, Falcon, that's what I'm going to call myself. That's going to be my middle name. And he was like, no, Steph. <laughs> like, no, you can't do that. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it. And then I wrote to my numerology friend and I was like, here's my list. I put Falcon in the list. I didn't put it at the top or anything I wanted to like see. And she was like, yeah. okay, I'm sending it to my guru. He picked Falcon. And I was like, that's it. That's Falcon. And it's kind of interesting. Like it definitely has become like a little bit of a, like with my show, like that's what they know me as. Like if I run into people on the street who recognize Falcon. me from the podcast. Yes. Falcon, oh my God. Like, Here, bless my crystal. I just cleaned it in the moonlight last night. They're like, Falcon, oh my God, hi. And I'm like, I love that I just like created this like rogue identity for myself and people responded to it. And that makes me feel like it was like meant to be. Well, no, you, you're doing exactly what you should be doing. Yeah. You know, you're, Thank you. you're so, you're so likable and you're so, you always were somebody. Well, I don't know if you were like, I think that we all in our, when we're younger, we always have a spiritual side, but much like you, mine came out, you know, later in life or where it was just like, it just takes over. And it's like, you're doing exactly what you should be doing. You are that person. And it's not like, I don't think it's a front. I think it's like, like you, you, you believe it and when you believe it like good things start happening to you and the people around you yeah you know i mean i mean i think that people definitely overdo it and it does become like a show but it's also like i'm not i would never be like i'm super spiritual i'm just trying to live in alignment with myself and that's really my whole goal yeah 
Well, I like Falcon. What was the what was some of the other options? Give me one more other like option. Fallon and like uh, like I remember there was like an Olivia. There was I don't know, there was like a whole list. I had like ten names and none of them felt right. Falcon just came to me and then it was kinda weird because then Kylie Jenner did her Falcon sneaker thing, then Elon Musk did Falcon space thing. And then and Falcon started coming up everywhere and I was like Falcon Crest? Remember Falcon Crest? They did that years ago. That was a old show my buddy. Oh used right. To watch. Oh my God. Falcon Crest. <laughs> yeah. So I just felt like I pulled it out of the ether and I was like, channel the channel is open for Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> and I we're here it. for it. And then last year I my brother it. adopted me a Falcon for my birthday. So I have like a piece of paper somewhere that I have like a peregrine falcon that I paid for to fly free in some like wilderness preserve. <laughs> All right. Let's jump into He's So Fine by the Chiffon. Uh-huh. Peter, play the intro. Play the intro because this shit's is Slapzilla. <laughs> Oh, this album is making me feel like revived in my sense of love and crushes. I feel like as we get older, we get like dead inside and we're just like, oh, whatever. Like they swiped back. And so now we're fucking and we have kids and boo. And I feel like this is like a whimsical time where it's like you just see someone and you're like, oh, my God. And that's how you like would meet people and connect with them. And like I yearn for that. You know, it's funny that you say that because like I haven't actually that's not true in December I had a crush but it took four dates for me to get a crush on that person that's it's not normal I know what but but I'm just saying it's like but also was I was also pulling back and like I'm taking my time getting back into a relationship I'm not just gonna dive in like I used to because right. I used to be I used to be he's so fine yeah do you know what I mean yeah yeah I know you were a bad boy time. babe I tried to smash <laughs> dude I remember the first time I saw Brady Matthews and I was like <laughs> oh my god he is gorgeous. <laughs> He's so No, but you know, but Steph, you're right. You're right. That there's something about there's something so cute about that crush. Yeah. About seeing somebody for the first time and you get butterflies. And like, you know, like I kind of have a crush right now. I mean, I do have a crush right now. And it's like unfamiliar feeling. Like I'm like, is this what it feels like to have a crush? Like I forgot. And it makes me uncomfortable and I keep trying to act like I don't because I'm like afraid of it because i'm just so used to being like settling yeah but don't i don't think you should be i think like we're getting older man so i think like if you get that feeling that reminds you of being a kid i know dude dude the first crush that first i remember like when i had a crush on like my camp counselor you know what i mean and i'm like eight years old and she's like 13 14 you're just like that is the oh my god it's like I just want to build lanyards with her. <laughs> I just want to fucking get a crochet or play dodgeball. I want to be on my team. And it's like, I haven't felt that in a long time. So I say run, run towards the feelings of the crush. Don't back away. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting how it used to be something that was just so easy to like lean into and be excited about. And I think that when we get older, I think it's also that we just get hurt so many times. And so we become like afraid to even admit the feelings of crush because we've been fucking slammed so many times like yeah it's yeah, just sad right. yeah I thought, and that was what you asked me why you, you shouldn't wait four dates to have a crush is because i had been just had my heart just like tossed around so which is which is a part of of just growing up i feel like you have to love and lose but you know it's it's at, at 40 i'm just like all right let's 
let's get to know this girl. Yeah. Like, let's just find out a little bit about Jessica because I... See, you're so funny. <laughs> I'm like, I'm 34. I have a crush on you. Give me a baby. Let's get married. Let's run away. Like, I'm going zero to 100 because I feel like I have no fucking time left. Yeah, but you do. You got a lot of time. Like worry. two years. <laughs> two, you got about two more years. Yeah. <laughs> two, Tons two of and time. A half. <laughs> two and a half. I'll give you two. I'll throw the half on there. All right. So in 1962, singer-songwriter Ronnie Mack heard the harmonies of a trio of girls from James Monroe High School in Bronx, New York, and suggested they add another local girl who had already had a single out. He became their manager and wrote them this song about a perfect guy that went to number one for a month in 1963. All right. Now for the sad shit. Uh, just as the song was racing up the charts, Ronnie Mack died of cancer at the age of 23. No! Uh, he, yeah, he later inspired the 1964 Martha and the Vandal song, Jimmy Mack. Um, yeah, this this song actually, is there some like, because uh, the next fact is like, is is like this, this song is almost like cursed. In 1970, the copyright holders of this sued George Harrison over the similarities between this and his song, My Sweet Lord. The lawsuit went on for decades and ultimately Harrison lost. Well, I guess that's not a curse. I guess that's... It happen- I feel like that happens a lot in music since there's like only so much you can do. Yeah. We talked about this on the George Harrison episode. Do you, have, do you know the song I'm talking about? Mm-mm. My Sweet Lord? All right, you hear, you make the decision if he stole. Peter, play a little bit of My Sweet Lord by George Harrison. I do know a song. Yeah, this is like, and this is a great song. This is this is your fucking anthem. This is just you, just like <laughs> like jumping on your trampoline, fucking incense burning. Like got got a two two crystals under your right titty, like just on fucking. acid in the canyon where I live. Just like, <laughs> but okay, you know music better than I do. Isn't it true that there's only like certain chord progressions that you can like write songs based off of, and then like then it's like kind of spawns off from there. Yeah, but it's but you can you can the chord progressions have been duplicated and duplicated in different songs, but it's like the cadence of the lyrics and the cadence of the way they're singing it. It sounds my oh my sweet lord, you know oh he's so fine. I guess yeah, I guess. But here's the other fucked up thing. Like think about like being an artist and he's he had obviously heard that song, he's so fine, at some point in his life. And it's like we get implanted with information, whether we're conscious of it or not. So it's like I don't think that he directly probably stole that song. He probably just heard the progression and heard the melody and was like, I thought that I heard that he created it and didn't. I don't think he should have lost a lawsuit. No. I, well, first of all, the guy was worth eight hundred billion dollars. He's a fucking beetle like right. he can drop. $20 million to these people. It's not, it's like a, it's like a, you know, like a whisper of money to him. What, what, what I, I don't think he, he purposely stole it. What I think is that it just, it sounds similar. And if it sounds similar and it's, and it generates revenue, the person that did it first gets, dude, I had to pay fucking some dude that did a show close to mine uh, for the comedy jam. No, he did it. He did it years ago. And so he became a producer on my TV show. It wasn't a big deal because right. he did a version of the goddamn comedy jam. My show is not his at all. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I didn't even know about it. 
But that's so the thing. So should I that, like, sue the podcast that like became the second podcast to do what I do? <laughs> is there a girl named uh, Ravenette or like <laughs> like some fucking her name? I'm, I'm Falcon. She's Falcor. <laughs> <laughs> it's really close. No, I. But I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know. I kind of. I get what you're saying, but I also kind of feel like it's like human ego to think that we have ownership over ideas like that. Like we, there's only so many ideas that exist in the world. You know, there's only so much like originality and creativity, like everything is derivative in some capacity. And so I feel like, and we're all like lending and borrowing, like, dude, the original comedians, like all told the same jokes. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, there's just not, I think it's a little bit extreme, but I get mon- that money makes the world go round and everyone needs to eat. So fuck it. Yeah. Cause in, in a sense you, you kind of have to like, you kind of want to you want to push for for Ronnie Mack and the chiffon yeah because because like it's they had such a tragic story it's like that dude the dude's life ended at 23 like hook his fucking family up that's man. true and and you know so and George it's not like it's happening to you or I it's happening to George Harrison right he can afford it you know and maybe that's why he just probably ultimately didn't care yeah, he was just like, I'll just take the fucking money. <laughs> he's yeah. Like, he's like, I have I 900 care. more songs. I, I thought, he's like, I, I just, I don't care. <laughs> he's like, I'm taking a picture right now with some garden gnomes on my shoulder. <laughs> I don't care. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, peer pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. All right, (laughs) Chapel of Love by the Dixie Cups. Peter, kick it! So we talked about this last week too, but this song about marital bliss by married couple Jeff and Ellie were originally recorded by ago by Darlene Love and then the Ronettes. Uh, and if you and the crazy thing, Steph, is that if you listen to last week's episode or you listen to the Ronettes version, mm-hmm. like it it just was missing something because of this song. Like this version is so perfect that every other version of this song is just trash compared it to is it. a perfect song it's like one of those things that you're here that you hear that even if you've never heard it before you'd be like i've heard that before but i love it because i do feel like with the you know modern feminism you're like not supposed to like want those things anymore 
and I like still do. And it's like, it's nice to listen to this kind of old timey, uh, value system and be like, okay, I can take what's was good about that and move forward with it and then leave behind what doesn't work and kept us, you know, held down and all that shit. But like the, the, the hopefulness of being like, I'm going to get married and I'm going to be happy and I'm not going to be lonely anymore. Like you would never hear a song about that today. You know, it's a timestamp of, of this era in America. And I think when you listen to something like this, Stephanie, that's why you understand why things like two live crew and, and the sex pistols and all these other bands that people were like Motley crew. They were like, ah, Oh my God, because their parents, fucking listen totally. to, the sh- to the Shoop Shoop song. You know, they're like, yeah. if you wanna know if he loves oh, you so it's in his yeah, but that's, that's what I'm That's what I'm saying, though, because they, like, they hear these perfect worlds that they are trying to create or and mask all the pain in the world yeah. through the through what's being pumped into pop culture so that's, but that's why, why that's why these songs we, when we talked earlier about like what movies we've seen them in they're always in like very dark movies because exactly right like the songs never touched on the undercurrent of what was happening in the culture so like the contrast is so rich and so alive but i don't know like don't you kind of think that Like, I don't need my music necessarily. I mean, it depends on what mood you're in, of course. But I like music sometimes to be like a complete emotional escape and like only reminding me of the positive experience of a situation. Dude, it's exactly what we're going through in all the Fleece Army, all the listeners. Everybody is like the world is in a pandemic and we're listening to this music. Yeah. You know what I mean? This shit came out. Kennedy got shot, got assassinated. Martin Luther King Jr. was killed. Like yeah. dude, the, my, my dad always said this. And I remember he said, dude, in, I think he said the seventies, he goes when like the Vietnam war and stuff was going on. He's like, there was a point where he's like, I thought it was all going to fall apart. Like the whole country government, all that shit, because it's almost like what we're dealing with now. Well, weirdly on an astrological tip, uh, the astrology of the 60s is very much, it's not the same thing right now, but there's a lot of the same like planetary returns of like revolution and change and like structural re-navigating and putting things in new places and having like, you know, in renewed contracts of the societal variety. It's all like coming back around right now. So it is very interesting that, that people are saying that because it's, it's in the ether, honestly. All right. We sang it already, but let's do it here now. The Shoop Shoop song, It's In His Kiss by Betty Everett. Although It's In His Kiss by Rudy Clark had previously been recorded a couple of times, it didn't become successful until Betty Everett took it to number one in 1964. It's because of the second recording that they decided to add a reference to the unique backup vocals, Shoop Shoop, to its title to differentiate between them. Peter, play 59 seconds in. Oh my God, I've never heard the Shoop Shoops. Really? I mean, I've never like paid attention to them like that, but now <laughs> it's my obsession. All I can think about when I hear this song is the movie Mermaids. Like that's Okay, it. that is one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, dude. So Cher covered this for the soundtrack of the movie Mermaids came out in 1990. Uh, it went 
top 40 in America and became her first solo number one in the UK. And all I can think about when I hear this song is Winona Ryder losing her virginity in a gazebo. <laughs> that's it. Uh, that's all I remember from that movie. Why did I watch that movie with my mom so many times? Well, you were probably 1990. What were you, like seven? I was five. You're but I don't, five? I don't think we watched it until I was like probably like 12. Although my mom had like a, this weird thing that she would do where she would have kind of spotty memories of movies that she deemed classic, but didn't really remember the context of the movie. Like I broke my leg when I was 11 and she was like, rented me all these movies and she pulls out the graduate and she's like, this is the greatest movie of all time. And I'm like 11 years old watching the graduate and we get to the part where they start like fucking and she's like, oh, I didn't um, remember what this movie was actually <laughs> about. Mm -hmm. And I didn't finish the movie until probably like, 15 years later or something. My dad was the same way. Like, I remember him showing me, uh, he took me to, like, see, like, you know, Predator and, and Total Recall, like, 87, 89, 90. So I'm, like, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. And my dad showed me, like, Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah. And I think I was right around five, too. It's like, we had hip parents, dude. No, we had Is parents there... who wanted to see good movies and forgot that we were children. <laughs> yeah. It's like, ah, they won't even remember. I remember they took me to see Saving Private Ryan, and I looked at my dad, and I was like, no. And so they, we had to leave the theater because <laughs> I was so scared of, like, the war violence. Like... Um, I want to I want to ask you this. Mm -hmm. Where was the strangest place you've ever shoop shooped? Is it in his kiss? No, <laughs> it is. Where's the strangest place I've ever shoop shooped? Wait, I'm gonna call sex shoop shoop from this moment on till the rest of my life. Like, don't you worry. I've shoop shooped in a lot of places. <laughs> Where's the weirdest? Mine's uh -huh. Pelican Pete's bathroom. Ew, Josh! In a bathroom? What is what is Pelican Pete's? It's like a it's like a, a crab house in Baltimore, not Baltimore, in Germantown. It was during a Redskins game. Oh, for the love of God! Um, where are you about to say? Hold on, like you, you're so judgy of my. Shoot, I'm I'm shoot I'm not judgy. It just it's all just it's <laughs> the whole thing. All we're just the humans are just pieces of shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um I think I've shoop shooped. Well, I've shoop shooped in many a cars, but I think actually I was remembering the other day because I just moved out here and I had only been here one other time, two other times in my LA life. And I'm pretty sure I shoop shooped in like a tunnel in the middle of like a hike in Topanga. Really? Yeah. Tunnel yeah. Tunnel fucking dude. And you think, and you think that's better than than pelican pete's bathroom well it's at least like nature which is like less grimy yeah but what if like like one of those like monster hornets you know but this was like 2011 before the monster hornet <laughs> existed i've been i've gotten fingered in a couple bathrooms but never <laughs> fucked <laughs> oh it is in his kiss every girl knows that it's so important to make out with somebody and know if you have good chemistry. It's like the oh, most important it, thing. I've I've ended it like with a girl I had a crush on, you know, because we don't have a rhythm. Yeah. It's not, there's no, you, you, you're not a connected kiss. You don't have a connected kiss, man. You don't have anything. That's like, that's like teaching a dog heel. Once you get heel, it learns everything else. If you can kiss somebody good, then everything else will be fine. Yeah. Although it, I've like, kissed. It's it sexually. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good sign. I have had some kisses that were like, that was our only chemistry. And then like when it came to like fucking chemistry, it was like not as strong as I would have wanted it to be. 
Some people are just meant to be made out with. But also, I think the women of this generation who wrote these songs maybe weren't requiring the level of intense fucking that a woman of the 2020s is requiring. Dude, that's the thing is that we don't know, man. Yeah. We just don't know. Yeah, you don't know. They're, they're, they're top secret quiet about what the freaky shit that the older yeah, generations did, you know? But a lot but they, of them, they, like, never came in their life. And then they, they became, like, 60 and, and, like, said, like, I've never had an orgasm before. Like, the female, like, sexual pleasure, like, movement of today is very real. That's crazy. Yeah. That, that, you just saying that, that there's bubbies out there that are like, nope, never busted a nut. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I've never busted a nut. I don't know what it is. He never did it. Now he's dead and I can't have sex with somebody else because I'm 84 and I've never came because I only had sex with one man and he was such a selfish lover. Yeah. Well, it's all, it's like he was a selfish lover, but also he, look, even to, in today's d- sexual landscape, I'm sure like every man of our generation like wants to make a girl come, but maybe like doesn't know how or would need to like have a conversation about it and be communicative. And like, that's not a very easy thing to communicate about, especially if you're living in a time where like there's no porn, there's no sexual freedom, there's no conversation. Women didn't even know that they needed to ask for it or like show you what was right. Like, I'm sure if they knew that that's all it took, like, hey, just a little to the left or, you know, like put my butt on a pillow or like whatever the fuck it is that you need to do to get your shit going. Nobody knew that that was the conversation that needed to be had. All, all you did right there was just tell uh, your next partner how you like it. You're like, it's always to the left. <laughs> no. Ass always on a pillow. <laughs> no. You want to make Simbari come, get her ass on a pillow, go to the left. No. <laughs> No, I was just using <laughs> I was just... Take her out to a nice cave in Topanga. <laughs> no, I'm just... <laughs> Always to the left. No. Ass I'm just on a pillow. giving an example. Not every... You don't need your ass on a pillow every time or anything like that. But like, you know, there's things that each lover needs to do for each other that's different that, yeah. um, you know, they didn't know... Look, just choke me, put a pillow on my face, and I'll be fine. <laughs> Always to the left. <laughs> Ass on a pillow. I'm on a, I'm grab crying. that pillow over there. <laughs> this is too much fun. All right, can I play you my what I think might be my favorite song on this whole record? Yeah. All right. Uh, I Can't Let Go by Evie Sands. Now, everybody listening right now, I want you guys to know that I know it, it's... It's all spoogled that I would say out of all these songs, this is the one that I'm picking, but there's something about it. It just sticks out to me. Peter, play a little taste of I Can't Let Go by Evie Sands. Yes. <laughs> no, in my head, I was like, I hope it's the one that's my favorite too. And it was. <laughs> are you serious? Are yes. You, are you, okay. I no, because I heard that song either. and I was like, this is like a modern song. Dude, that was the thing. Out of all the other songs, like this one's on there. And I was like, first of all, the bass in that shit thumps. It's yeah. just like, dang, dang, dang. <laughs> it's got a very like, it almost sounds like something from the TV show Maud. Do you know what I mean? Like it's almost it just has like a very B. Arthur feel to it. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense or it's confusing. Well, I don't think it's I think it's right because she was also like a kind of ahead of her time type of bitch. Sure. 
Well, I'd never heard of Evie Sands. Uh, she was a Brooklyn-born blue-eyed soul singer, uh, and this was written by Al Giorgione and Chip Taylor. So uh, the good. Hollies. Here's here's something else though. Uh, the Hollies had a number two hit with this in the UK shortly after, and Linda Ronstadt charted with it in the US in the 1980s. Uh, now I'm excited because uh, I actually want to hear both of those songs now. Like I really do. I'm surprised. I love Linda Ronstadt and I love the Hollies. I mean, this album is just loaded with such good shit. My boyfriend's back. Also, we didn't uh, talk about um, he's got the power. <laughs> Peter, do you have a little bit of he's got the power? He makes me do things I don't want to do. song is so real <laughs> it's so good dude all right so this 1957 hit for the exciters a queens new york vocal group with one male member was again produced by lieber and stoller in 63 as a follow-up to their 62 hit tell him uh that's my second favorite <laughs> song on the album Con- I, really, contrary yeah, to popular all- opinion <laughs> so so this song is about being completely dick whipped yeah so yeah, Ellie Greenwich, she wrote this, Ellie Greenwich, because she was obsessed with Tony Powers in 62. Although she and Jeff Barry were a couple, they didn't work together exclusively until they got married later that year. This, that's a, this is such a great song. I had no idea this was about that. Literally, she's like, I can't deal with his personality, but he fucks me so good. I am completely dignitized, and I do and say things I do not want to do, and yet I can't stop. <laughs> I can't stop. I, I can't stop. Dude, it's so great. It's such a great song. Also, I relate. <laughs> Is do you, did you so you got that right from listening to this right off the jump? Because that's I didn't even understand it was about that. I just loved the the way the song flowed. Well, at first I was like, this is so dark. Um, this woman is a prisoner and this man makes all the money and she can't make money because she's living in a time when women can't work. And I went down like a dark societal rabbit hole. Yeah. And then I listened again and I was like, oh, wait, this song is about how much she loves his cock. <laughs> <laughs> And then I was like, I love this song. <laughs> Have you ever been dick whipped? Yeah, of course. You get addicted to people. You like, it's like, also it's the same thing as being pussy whipped, really. It's like, we just get chemically bonded to each other. Yeah. And so we're like confused. Pheromones. Yeah, we're pheromones. And so we get confused about the the truth of the situation. We can't, that's why honestly in my like 30 second year of life not not this year a few years back um so crazy i'm only 25 i can't believe i like can talk like i'm 35 it's so weird um but i i stopped i did something like an experiment where i was like okay because i'm i've always just been like i'll fuck you and then we'll see what happens that was has always kind of my like mode of like dating which didn't work um so i was like I, i got this idea that i think someone told me this is true like the second that people start sleeping with each other, they stop seeing each other clearly. And so I did this experiment where I was like, let me just try. It sounds really dumb now that I'm saying it out loud because it's not like revolutionary in any capacity, but let me just try not to fuck somebody right away and, like get, and like get to yeah. know them. Like, let <laughs> me just see. Do. Like, just let not me fuck just... somebody, like see them. <laughs> I know, but it's crazy because like, 
so many people. There's, I was like, there's I, somebody out there's somebody out there right now that is like, uh, wait, I can hold off on fucking them. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know I could do it either. I'm not even fucking being hyperbolic. I'm being 100% serious. I really thought that that was the best way to get to know someone. We're Scorpios. That's how we communicate. That's how we get information. Like I didn't know that I could try something different. And it was very interesting because in the beginning with a couple of them, I was like, I'm trying to fuck. And they were like, let's wait, let's see. And by the time that they were ready, I was like, I'm over this. And it was true. It was like, I really saw you clearly long enough to know that if we started fucking, I would have gotten wrapped up and it gotten into some like fucking month long, two month long, three month long, like annoying thing just because, you know, we fucked. And it's sad that that's true because it's so enjoyable. Yeah, sex is great. but It's it great. Fucking, it fogs everything, man. That's why I'm so clear right now. Me too. Because I haven't seen another, I haven't seen like a woman that's, you know, hasn't been six feet away in what, two months now. Good thing you have a six inch cock. Good. I mean six foot. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that joke, that joke would have hit. I fucked up that joke. So All right. <laughs> do you want to do some facts and get out of here? <sighs> yeah. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Let's do some facts and then And also, we're not skipping over. There's so many great songs on this album. The Locomotion, My Boyfriend's Back. There are. It's just hit after hit. If you haven't listened to the record, listen to it. You'll feel better. Honestly, right. it's a it's a joy of memory and whimsy. Yeah, whimsy, totally whimsy. The J-Nets, who were riding the success of their song, Sally Go Round the Roses, were on Dick Clark's Caravan of Stars tour when they were scheduled to perform at Memorial Auditorium in Dallas, Texas on the night of November 22nd, 1963. Do you know what happened that night? Um, Robert Kennedy was assassinated. No. You're close. John Ken F. John Kennedy. F. Kennedy. I'm really only connected to the Robert Kennedy assassination because I... Watch the documentary. <laughs> okay. And it I made mean, me cry um, so much because I thought he was like just an amazing figure. Yeah. Oh, I love RFK. Uh, I, love, I bet you do. Like, like uh, older people love JFK. Yeah, but he was like, I think I judge him because he was like philandering. So was Robert. I know, but it's less talked about. <laughs> okay, <yeah. laughs> All right. Uh, Three songs on here were performed by the writers of almost all the other songs. Carol King did It Might As Well Rain Until September. Ellie Greenwich did You Don't Know. And Ellie and then husband Jeff Barry released The Kind of Boy You Can't Forget as The Raindrops. Although their songs are widely successful, none of these did particularly well. That's so interesting. That's why the album feels, even though it's sung by different people, it feels like so cohesive. Yeah. I it, it's there's so many songs that are on this that have been covered throughout like history because it's just when you figure out a format of a song and when a song's so perfect you just fucking you know 
like yesterday has been covered more than any other song because I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, oh yeah, this song's perfect. Like I want to sing it. Um, what's the worst review or critique you've ever gotten? Of myself? Well, the worst things that have ever been said about me have been said about me by me. So <laughs> uh, I don't really think that anyone has said anything. Um, something that sticks. This is really stupid, but I feel like someone wrote like an iTunes review about my podcast like early on and said, what is this? The Stephanie Simbari show. And I just thought that was so funny because, like, yes. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. It literally is. It's, it's it, your show. Exactly. But, like, it just kind of, like, triggered me because I feel like that's something that I was really, really, really hard on myself about doing stand-up and just in general, like, being an actor and kind of choosing this life. It's, like, I was very hard on myself about the notion that I thought that I was, like, good enough or special enough or something to, like, say that I could do those things. And like, that's the, that's the harshest critic that I have, which is myself that says like, you're worthless. Yeah. Uh, it's a constant struggle with me. Yeah. You know, but uh, you, you just like, you said something to me a long time ago that I'll always remember. It was, I was like, hmm. when we first met and I was like kind of egotistical, I was like, I was like, can you were hot too? And I was like, well, you're going to be a comic. What, what makes you think you can be a comic? And you looked at me, you were like, cause I have something to say. Oh, and I was just like, sad. <laughs> well, why would I ask that question in general? Anyway, that was me just being the bad boy yeah, that I was back then. Such a fucking instigator. But that is why I do what I do because I feel that that's true. But with that comes all of the other things of putting yourself out there, putting yourself up against potential judgment. But it's really just the fear. It's not the actual reality of people's reactions that's harsh. It's the fear that gets in the way that thinks the reaction is going to be harsh. And so when people say things like that, it triggers that deep insecurity in you that you've, you're constantly fighting against. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're doing fucking great, kiddo. I have something to say. Am I still hot? Yeah, you're Topanga hot now. Fuck, that's ugly. (laughs) You you look like you put together like like all female uh, songwriter festivals. You know what I mean? You've got like that. (laughs) My hair is so long. Like what? It goes down to my butt in the back. I remember one time (laughs) you used to like show up at the open mic like I remember we always talked about the pillowcase do you remember the pillowcase the pillowcase that I was wearing as a dress yeah you wore a pillowcase as a dress once with like a brooch on it oh yeah no that's because I was the box girl at the standard and the 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 uniform was that you had to wear white top and white shorts and I did it like three days a week and of course like I never did my laundry and it only had one top and one short and so I was like forgot that I had to work. This was like so me at like 24. Forgot that I had to work. Forgot that I didn't wash my clothes and found a white pillowcase in my closet and I cut leg holes into the pillowcase and turned it into like and I had like a uh what like a nude colored bra and I turned the pillowcase into like a weird dress. <laughs> I took because the only reason why the brooch was there is that's the only thing I could think of to hold the pillowcase up on my bra yeah. and wear it in the box. Oh, this dress, it's sicko. just my, 
this dress, it's just my comforter. <laughs> a comforter with, with a belt on. No, you used to do the bit where you were like, Steph sees curtains and she's like, ka, 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 and like <laughs> You're like you're like you had like you had like a dead bug on an earring. You like picked like a like a bug off the street and you were like, This cricket'll do. Click <laughs> and then you put it on your ear. <sighs> oh my god, I was fun. You're you still are. All right, last fact. <laughs> Due to the lyrics being from the perspective of a young girl possibly offering up her virginity in the song Will You Love Me Tomorrow by the Shirelles, some radio stations banned this. I had no idea that this song was about that. Me either. Until I got into like a law. Yeah, dude, will you still love me tomorrow? It's about literally like if, if we I'll have sex with you, but are you still, you know, will you love me tomorrow? So this came out in 1960. So in 1960, you just have to like imagine like women never sang songs about that about yeah. the first time, and then yeah. saying like, "All right, I'm gonna fuck you, but you know, what's tomorrow gonna be like?" And like, people weren't really having. It wasn't like it was frowned upon to have sex if you weren't married. Yeah. So I 50s? want you to do me. I want you to do me a favor. Mm-hmm. Paint me a picture <laughs> of the night. You down dogged into somebody else's tree post. <laughs> Is that a lyric of the song? <laughs> you down dog into your tree post. <laughs> Will you still love me in mountain? Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's another pose for those of you who are Tiny backpack <laughs> warrior three. <laughs> Oh, man. I've only ever fucked one yogi, and it was so weird. Really? Oh, man. I was talking more about your virginity. I was talking more about your virginity. Oh. (laughs) Uh, I lost my virginity for revenge. It's kind of a dark story. (laughs) Uh, For revenge? Yeah. I lost my virginity to my high school boyfriend's best friend to uh, hurt him. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> sick. It's, what's up? What's up, Cruel Intentions? <laughs> that was our movie together. <laughs> uh, of course. <laughs> no, he was the crackhead, as aforementioned, and um, okay. he had like done some kind of fucked up shit, and I was feeling very hurt because I was a virgin and we were dating for like a year and a half, and he was like patient, said he didn't care, but I was so dumb and naive, like... Of course a man isn't going to date you for a year and a half and not have sex. He's a fucking man. So he's fucked somebody else, obviously. But he, he did love me. But but yeah. I understand I that. And I didn't really understand that at the time. And then he like went to Mexico and went on a fucking drug bender. And it was like this whole fucked up thing. So when he was gone, his best friend kind of like swooped in and was like, I always thought me and you would be a better couple than you and him. And I was just like, yeah. But it was a big, sad regret for sure. I definitely like made a mess and really 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 hurt my high school boyfriend even though I kind of thought he couldn't be hurt because I didn't understand I didn't really understand like people and men at that time but he was devastated he never forgave me yeah but you're a kid you know yeah no it's fine now you were angry and yeah of course that's the thing is that all the mistakes that we've made in life, it's like, dude, I my, my when I lost my virginity, I don't even know the girl's name. Yeah, for the first for number one, that everyone's said, virginity is a weird story. It's always a weird story. 
Most people that are listening right now are like, no, mine's actually it's like pretty so normal. sweet. <laughs> like, you know what? I do most think... people fuck their friend for a revenge story. And, I know. And, and oh my God, I'm such a bad person. up with some girl in Myrtle Beach that they didn't no, know. No, but like, you know what? Looking back, it's probably better that I didn't have sex with them because then I would have been like so fucking sprung on that dick. And then I would be like still dating someone who like has like an eighth grade reading level. So it's probably for the best. Yeah, dude, you'd be all fucking shoop shoop. Nobody ever listens to this because I'm being so cunty. <laughs> dude, you, nah, dude, dude. There's a reason why your favorite song was "I Can't Let Go" by Evie Said. Uh, I Stephanie, deeply love everyone I've ever been with, all 145 of them. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, babe. Steph, this was you. so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, oh dude, wait, was... can we can we ask my question on air so that the audience knows what's good? What's the question? That in four years, when Crazy Sexy Cool pops up on the top five hundred list, you're gonna give your old friend Steph Sambari a call. Well, we're gonna give Steph Sambari. Don't a call. look down and lie and be shifty. <laughs> fucking look. Me I mean, in the we eyes. do. We do. We might do. We might if we get. But here's the deal. All right, but if we get T Boz or Chili, then <sighs> you're out. Okay, okay, wait, new, new, new thing. If you get T-Boz or Chili, then I can also come on. <laughs> Spotify doesn't like multiple guests. Yeah, they just don't like multiple Maybe guests. Maybe by that time you'll be kicked off Spotify and be like on a different platform. Oh, don't put that energy, don't put that, dude, not in a pandemic. Don't put that energy there at I'm all. I'm kidding, I'm right? kidding. We love you, Spotify. <laughs> love you. All right, fine. Well, if you just tell them that I'm their biggest fan and I used to, um, record myself singing along with their tape on a different tape recorder and tell my little cousins that I met them. <laughs> okay. I, I love you, babe. Thank you. Thank you so much. What I tell you, what I tell you, the one and only Stephanie Simbari, guys. Follow Stephanie on Instagram at Simbari. Follow her on Twitter at Steph Simbari. And check out her podcast, That's So Retrograde. It's incredible. You'll love it. Now, we just listened to various girl groups of the 1960s. This week, our new music choice is Shia Diamond. Shia is an America singer-songwriter who grew up listening to artists influenced by the girl groups of the 60s, including Tina Turner and Whitney Houston. Although Shia's music is primarily soul-based, she blends in hints of blues and rock for a modern take on the sound. Her new single, I Am America, is the theme song for HBO's new series, We're Here, and you can stream it now on Spotify. Check out the link on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you're in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and the artists that influence you in the subject line. Next week is Buddy Holly and the Crickets Week as we go through their 1957 debut album, The Chirping Crickets. So y'all got some homework to do. Listen to the album on Spotify. Stay fleecy. Dougal. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little... A little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. 
Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com, and I'll see you there. Next Chapter Podcasts.